I should. <laughs> then I'd have to, like, go and get us internet at our place, which... Yes, you should have that. Well, hopefully we're not going to be there for a uh, whole lot longer, so... Wait, you don't even have internet there? No, we use our uh, mobile hotspots off our phones. Okay. All right. Well, that I mean, that has it, to be... It works fine. It works fine. Johnny ran his entire life off of that for... <laughs> he was using, like, 200 gigs a month of mobile data. Well, like, what kind of speeds can you get off of that? Decent, not great. Okay. Dude, I don't know, mind it. Like, if we watch something on Netflix, like... That's all you can it, do, though. No, we can do whatever. No, like, at one time, that's all you can <laughs> oh, do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like three fucking... But no, like, it, it loads it almost instantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm assuming you get, like, three megabytes a second or something. Yeah, it's probably about three or four. Yeah. Now. Yeah. My, uh, my parents' internet at their home, they Cold have... stock internet. <laughs> Essentially, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it gets three megabytes a second, and so the router's in the basement, and if you're upstairs, it can take maybe two minutes to load a Netflix uh, awesome. movie, and it's going to be an SD. So. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. See, like, with at least my mobile hotspot, like, if I go to take the dog out and whatnot, like, I have my phone on me because I browse on it and yeah. whatnot while I'm out there. But, like, outside of the apartment and whatnot, Amy has, like, no problems with it. It just... Hmm. Right away. Yep. You know what's weird, actually? Because apparently your friend Brad has been getting into podcasts now. And my Spotify in that in our office works perfect, right? I can uh, stream it and everything. No delays. And for some reason, his phone, and we have the same phone, he can't get a signal in there. <laughs> Is he using the Wi-Fi? No, he said... In the shop's Wi-Fi, he can get it. Yeah. But when he tries to switch over to his cellular service, oh yeah, internet won't work. Yeah, I don't get any cell service like right by the building. Really? No. That's weird because mine works. Do perfectly you guys fine. have different carriers? I think we both have Verizon, right? I have Verizon. I've got T-Mobile. Oh. Brad's got Verizon though. See, hmm. that's weird. I don't know. Maybe his phone's wore out. I'm like, just download them in the shop, then walk out here and listen to them. Brad's getting into podcasts now, huh? Yeah, that's what he said. He's asking me for my advice on him. I'm like, I don't think he'd like to listen to anything that I like to listen yeah. to. Dude, he's probably listening to a Mind Pump Raw Fitness Truth. Um, I, hope I, he, I hope he's Which actually is a pretty good to this. podcast. Is it? I hope he never listens to this. Ever. Why? We've said it? a lot of shit over these last <laughs> 90 episodes about him. He might think it's funny. Hopefully. Uh, I mean, how's, how's old Bradley doing? I think he's doing good. He, uh, you know what his first podcast of choice was? Uh, Joe Rogan. I'm not surprised. I mean, me and Adam hyped that up for a long time, and then we died off at the same point. <laughs> so wait, Adam, you don't listen to him anymore? No. no. Really? No, okay. there's no, I mean, I never really did that much. It was just like when he had actual good guests on. Mm. But now that it's just the same tired people and people I haven't heard of, it's just like, I, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I want to hear comedians talking about comedy or actors yeah. talking about acting. I don't want to hear Cameron Haynes for the 50th fucking time yeah. talking about how he can run so long in yeah. elk hunting. <laughs> Who the hell is Cameron this, Haynes? He's an ultra marathon runner. Ah, yeah. and okay. A and hunter. bow hunter. Okay. Yeah, it, when he's on, it's literally the exact same episode over and over and over yeah, and over Yeah, they might as well again. just rebroadcast it because yeah. it's the same thing. And then eventually they talk about weed and eventually they talk mm. about DMT. Mm. And then they talk about how it's way better when you can kill your own meat and bring it home as opposed to getting it from a grocery store. Mm. And then they jerk each other off and drink <laughs> each other's jizz and then everyone goes home. 
That sounds like a good episode to That's, me. And then Great. there's that one uh, female doctor. Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Yeah, Dr. Yeah. Rhonda Patrick. He always has Dr. Rhonda Patrick on. <laughs> no, Joe Rogan sucks. As a person, I love Joe Rogan. Mm. But man, that show is, uh, well, whatever. It's for the masses now. It's yeah. not for people. How many episodes is he in? Like thousand, thousand. Fit 500 almost. Something. I mean, okay, if you're doing three episodes a week with different guests... Most and they're all the three time. hours long. Yeah, you're going to run out of people eventually. Yeah, and you're going to run out of topics. Yeah. Listen, I happen. will say, though, if we got an invitation to be on the Joe Rogan podcast, I would take that shit in a heartbeat. I'll be on anybody's podcast <laughs> yeah. if they invite me. I don't give a shit. So if Fucking I start, hook it up. So, if Adam, if I start hooking us up and saying, hey, I'll put Adam as our guest, our representative for Bumblebutt on any podcast... You'll do it? Well, they got to be cool. It okay. can't be like the Nambla, yeah. Nambla podcast. <laughs> Is even a thing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me this week is Cody. Hello, Cody. Hello, Adam. How are you? I'm doing uh, doing good, actually. My sickness is uh, going away. Subsiding? Yeah, it's, it's finally. It's funny because... I think you were kind of sick. I was mm-hmm. kind of sick. Most of Minnesota was sick. And then uh, Phil's been sick. So I guess it's oh. just a nationwide problem, apparently. <laughs> it's a flu epidemic, right? I, I guess. We're I'm, overdue. I'm a little jealous because, you know, obviously the Vikings receiver, Stefan Diggs, has been sick. Mm-hmm. And he had that picture of him getting treatment. He's got, like, IVs going in every vein of his body to yeah. cure him. Yeah. Why can't we have that? Well, because uh, we've <laughs> we never don't done... have money like him. <laughs> we've never done a Minneapolis miracle before. True. Cody. True. I just uh, want to be hooked up to IVs and instantly feel better. That's what I want. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> Don't they do that shit in Vegas? If you're hungover, they like come in and like yeah. you. Yeah, you can get like IVs to rehydrate you okay. and shit. They have a bus that goes around, and they can and they'll do it in a room. Hmm. So got to keep you gambling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, they just got to keep you doing coke. Mm, yeah, yeah, because that's, that's what keeps you gambling. That's what I feel. This table's fucking hot, bud. Is that let's in, go? Is that in fashion anymore? I feel like we've moved Dude, on. From I, coke. I don't feel like Coke has ever gone out of fashion. It, it might have like gone to a more underground thing, mm. but just do some Adderall and <laughs> hang out. I mean, it's the same basic thing. So your uh, your week was all right, though, Cody. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, fine. Uh, we're it. back to normal. No more days off. You yeah. know, it it was fine. I liked, really liked those short weird weeks though yeah. that was pretty good yeah i didn't like them threatening overtime which i didn't acknowledge anyway but uh but yeah it's it's back to normal now they're opening up from midnight to four tonight if you want to go back and Ugh. work work a hot four hours why would anybody ever do that <laughs> uh, no all right well good job cody jordan you're also here i am let me hear about your week man it was just cold and outside mm. and all the good stuff i mean yeah overall it actually was pretty good it's nice to uh be getting back to actual work weeks after the holidays because i'm so new at my job like i don't get paid for holidays right. so that shit fucking sucked <laughs> i forgot about that what is it three months or something you gotta be there? yeah oh so, like, shit my paycheck i just got today was for 28 hours the one before was for 28 hours and now it's just like oh, okay cool like i actually worked 
more than a full week, so I'm going to have like eight hours of overtime on this check. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I like getting back to that. All right, mm. no shit. You know what's pretty sweet, actually? Phil, uh, his company, God, he got like almost two weeks off for the holidays, and I think they got, I think they got paid for all of it. That's See, a sweet gig. Well, and that's like what I want to do next year is, you know, I want to take like, because we get Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off, and then New Year's Eve. Mm. But I want to take the day after Christmas to, like, whatever the next Monday after the New Year is off. Okay. And, like, take Amy on a vacation. Oh yeah. All right. You know, depending on, like, how the kid is, maybe take the kid. Otherwise, be like, here, grandparents, watch them. I feel like by that point, you're going to be like... Someone take this child. Get we need Eddie a break. Away. <laughs> Fucking probably. <laughs> we need a break. Please. Give me away from this child. Oh, yeah, I know. Something like that. I mean. But, no, this week's been good. Uh, did a lot of fucking houses. and yeah. yeah. I can see it. Been getting a lot of fucking sleep. Like, <laughs> dude, I've been falling asleep at goddamn, like, 9.15 at night. Damn. Well, shit. That's kind of the way to be. <laughs> yeah. I like staying up to like ten thirty though. Mm. Well, it's still not very late. We're old men now. <laughs> yeah, I know and it's not very late, but I mean, I have to be at the job site at seven every morning. I know, so. I know, we're old men because literally when I got home today around like quarter after four, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna lay down for a few <laughs> seconds here. I'm gonna close one eye. Yeah, I've, it's been a long week. Let's watch a movie here before you guys come over. And next thing I know, I'm waking up quarter after six being, whoa, okay. Yep. Yep. Alright, well, I guess I'm not sleeping tonight. <laughs> mm. mm. Alright, let's fucking go back into our good man, Ponzi Part 3. Shall let's we? do it. Yeah. We are uh, finally, finally, we're gonna be Getting into what we've been building up to here, uh, him actually getting into his little the whole reason potatoes. that he's famous, basically. Yeah. yeah. So today's gonna be diving into basically the whole uh, Ponzi scheme thing, and the next week's gonna be obviously the downfall of it. Oh. So oh, we gotta wait till next week. Yeah, unfortunately, well, I'm fine with right. it. <laughs> yeah, that's my least favorite part of the Scorsese film, anyway. The downfall. Yeah, he's uh. His downfall isn't quite as uh, brutal as you would expect, so... Not as bad as Henry Hill's, sir? No, no, no. He doesn't get shot up in a elevator or whatever. <laughs> or no, how did... No, he ratted on him, right? Yeah, yeah. He ratted... I'm thinking of The Departed. You are thinking of The Departed. he gets shot up in the elevator. Where everyone gets shot, except for Marky Mark. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, up to this point in the story, for a man who seemed to have so much hardship and trials in life, you'd assume, after finding promising employment with J.R. Poole and marrying the woman he had fell head over heels for, he'd be satisfied and content, but that nagging itch to become rich would never seem to relent with Ponzi. Ponzi wanted to lavish his wife with the newest fashion and jewelry. He wanted to hire servants so she wouldn't have to do anything at all and treat her like a princess. Mm. I mean, he has great intentions, I will say. <laughs> Rose doesn't want that, though. No, she's an activated woman. Yeah, she doesn't need all of that. Ponzi's just obsessed with that. Yeah. So anyway, Ponzi told her... I want you to be able to throw away a hundred dollars. 
technically, that's still a good chunk of change now. Oh, dude, yeah. Someone handed me a $100 bill. I'd be like, fucking thanks, dude. <laughs> Please throw it away and throw it away in my direction. <laughs> now, keep in mind, fellas. Ponzi, while he wanted those furrows, obviously he wanted plenty of that for himself as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, oftentimes oftentimes Rose would just sit with him and listen as he outlined one money-making scheme after another. How boring would that be? Well, unless she got horny about it or something. Mm, yeah, but she, I mean, she sat and listened. She's a good wife. I yeah. guess if, okay, Jordan, if you were to go home, say, after this and be like, babe, I got the perfect scheme. You guys sit at a little table and you tell her how you're going to make money. Do you think she'd get bored eventually? She'd probably tell me to shut the fuck up <laughs> and just keep doing what I'm doing now because it's a guaranteed paycheck. <laughs> All right. She'd probably be like, Bernie, sit with your daddy and listen to his little dumb ideas. Let him, let mean, him yeah, drink himself. <laughs> it's just Jordan and the dog sitting there yeah. talking about how to get rich. <laughs> get rich right. quick schemes. Listen here, bud, as I'm holding him by the collar. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> so about six months into their marriage, Ponzi would get his first chance to use his business sense when Rose's father and uncle's wholesale fruit-selling business was failing. They figured they would turn to their new son-in-law's apparent business expertise to turn it around. So in September of 1918, Ponzi quit his job with J.R. Poole to work full-time at Neko Brothers. He actually put forth his full effort, even giving himself the title as the company's president and treasurer. Two titles. How humble. How (laughs) humble of Ponzi. First day here. I'm the company's president and treasurer. All right, here we go. (laughs) He's going to put that on his LinkedIn. (laughs) By the end of the year, the business had an estimated wealth of about $6,000, but was $11,000 in debt. Oof, that's not good. No one would fault Ponzi for his failure because it was already a sinking ship even before he arrived. So it was a perfect opportunity then. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. As a last-ditch effort, he appealed to the company's lawyers requesting to borrow against the company's $6,000 in assets, (laughs) promising to pay back the $6,000 plus all of the debt using his knowledge of exporting but they told him that's not going to happen. Yeah. If that's not illegal, that is morally very wrong. Yeah. Is probably what they said. So if they said, man, I got you. Just give me the money. Yeah. I'll pay you back. If you plus give, interest. If you give me 6000 I will come back at you with $17,000. I promise. Ridiculous. <laughs> so on January 4th, 1919, Neko Brothers would have to file for bankruptcy. Now, after this, Ponzi found himself without a job after quitting J.R. Poole and the failure of Neko Brothers. He probably could have asked asked for his initial job back, but he decided he was not going to do that. Too proud. Ponzi said he was... Tired of working for expectations that didn't pay either my rent or my grocery bills. Tired of making money for my employers in general and not... For myself. Well, I, shit. I mean, that's how do the, I make it the Sunday gravy <laughs> with the Capricorn? Well, shit. That's, that's kind uh, of true, though, right? I hate furthering anyone's yeah. ambition. That's not my own. You see, I mean, you, all of us at this table, we basically are working to make other people a lot of money. That's of course. Yeah. So he has a point. Now, around the same time, Rose's mother would pass away, which obviously was very difficult on her, but 
she did end up leaving Rose a little bit of an inheritance. Plus, Ponzi did have some money saved up uh, to hold them afloat for a while while he was unemployed. So he decided... This was the perfect opportunity to try his hand at starting his own business. I'm going to say that's not the perfect opportunity at hey, that. This story is going to be, you know what, in America, you got to take your chances and grab life by the balls, man. You, you might only get one chance. I know. But, Sometimes you got to uh, fly before you can crawl, my friend. See, well, he's been trying. No, I know. <laughs> So he rented a windowless one-room office. It's going to be hard to fly out of there. There's no windows. That's kind of like dour. Don't they always say (laughs) if you're in a room without any windows, like it'll drive you insane eventually? Yeah. Isn't that kind of like a mental thing? Yeah, like casinos. Oh, true. Good point. Mm. So anyway, uh, he rented a one-room office above Puritan Trust Company right in the heart of Boston's commercial district. He would spend countless hours here trying to come up come up with ideas. His first idea was to try to become a commodities broker. The only problem was he wanted to rely strictly on other people's commodity, <laughs> which requires a lot of trust that before you can get to that yeah. point. <laughs> so that business idea flopped. I'm He's ma- trying, though. I know. I mean, how are you going to talk someone into being like, let me sell your goods. I promise I'm good at it. Yeah, like, it's, it's, That's a tough <laughs> yes. sell. Yeah. You got to have like a reputation for that. Yeah. So on May 10th, 1919, Ponzi was served with a warrant. For his arrest? Yep. He was being charged with the theft of 5,387 pounds of cheese valued at 45 cents a pound. Jesus. Give me that fucking cheese. It didn't say, like, what kind of cheese it is, but that seems like that's got to be some grade A fucking cheese. Like, I mean, that's probably some, like, aged-ass Parmesan from Italy, given his background. It's two and a half tons of cheese. Where do you even store that? Like, how do you hijack that much cheese? In a cheese locker. (laughs) Okay, I guess. So, two days later, he pleaded his innocence in the Boston Municipal Court. He actually got rather lucky because they would list his name as Charles Pusey, which obviously was spelled incorrectly. And because of this, the charges were dropped on a technicality. Yeah, hell tr- yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Bro. They're trying to try Charles Pusey, not Charles Ponzi. <laughs> you got, it's funny how many people get out of shit just because they misspell their fucking name. Write right? down oh, yeah. the name right. right? Yeah. You got one job. <laughs> make sure if you want to put this guy in jail, make sure you know his fucking name. Now, the interesting thing is... We don't actually know if Ponzi was involved with the cheese theft at all, but uh, Ponzi would always claim it was just a simple misunderstanding for the rest of his life. So we don't really know how he got involved in this or if there's just like a profile profiling thing like yeah, some anti-Italian uh, shit basically. So cheese we don't gate. know. <laughs> yeah, cheesecake. <laughs> now that same month The building he was renting his office from came under new ownership from the Tremont Trust Company, known throughout the city as Simon Swig's Bank. (laughs) Now, Swig was a leader in in Boston's Jewish community who used the Tremont Trust Company as his own personal piggy bank. Swig was also known to get deeply involved with the corrupt politicians of the day and definitely use shady business practices. Let me tell you this story real quick. I didn't include in the notes. He, there's a story basically. He 
had to take out, pay some people off or something. So what he did, he took some of his money and he just took some of the bank's profits and paid for it and then never paid the bank back. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Because he had so much money in this bank, he just like dipped into it whenever he felt like it. He just skimmed it. Yeah, it's just like they just look the other way. Fucking baller. (laughs) And his name is Simon Swig. Yeah, is that a Jewish last name? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It sounds racist or something. It sounds bad. It does. He's gonna come up again in part two, (laughs) four. Yeah, or four. Yes. He's going to come up last week. (laughs) (laughs) All Ponzi knew was that Swig wanted him out and was going to spike up the cost of rent to do so. Mm -hmm. So he moved just around the corner to the Niles building located at 27 School Street, which might sound familiar from the very beginning of this saga is the, the where his office will be set up at. Right. Now, initially, this office space was unfurnished, so Ponzi headed to Daniels and Wilson's furniture company and picked out $350 worth of used desks, chairs, a typewriter, filing cabinets, and a small rotary printing press called a Multigraph. Well, shit. Ooh. This sounds like he's. He, this is a he, starter office pack. I'm like... I feel like, you know, the desks and stuff, but why do you need the printing press? You like, know why. You, okay. you gotta make that shit legit. <laughs> I guess so. You know why. <laughs> Since Ponzi didn't have the funds to pay for this, he struck a deal of $50 down and $5 a month to pay for it. That's a hell of a long loan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes. yeah. Damn. He would top off his new office with, with a sign on the front door that said, Charles Ponzi, export and import. <laughs> Just a blanket statement there. He can do whatever he needs to do there. <laughs> His plan was to work on commission as an import and export age- agent, acting as a broker for domestic and international companies hoping to trade across borders. He thought this might be really attractive to small businesses that couldn't afford to hire these agents to work in-house. Sure. Which kind of makes sense, honestly. Yeah, exa- yeah. It's not easy for a business to hook up with an international business. No, absolutely not. No. The only problem was Ponzi had zero contacts to start with, so his plan was to print circulars and send blanket mailings to potential customers. And that's where the multigraph comes in. (laughs) Oh. True. Good point. He soon realized it was going to cost a nickel per domestic circular and eight cents for the international firms, Damn. which would Ooh. completely wipe out his funds. So he crumpled up that idea, drew up a new plan. What? All right. What is? How is he going to get his name out there if he doesn't print circulars, Cody? I, I mean, I guess. It's funny because we talk about circulars in this idea, and then in the next idea, he kind of does the same thing, but he just goes for it this time. I don't know. Okay. It's interesting. Now, his new plan was to start start up his own foreign trade publication. He would basically charge companies to advertise in said magazine and then have it distributed all around. Well, that's brilliant. It is a good idea. Yeah. So, so to start things off, he made a new sign on the front door that said, <laughs> Bostonian Advertising and Publishing Company. <laughs> Do you think he just like X's out the side and then yeah. just like writes a new one on there? No, no, we don't import and export anymore. This is a publishing company. That's right. <laughs> he would name his magazine 
Trader's Guide. Love it. Ooh. Don't that where'd you use work sportsman's guide? Yeah, I did. <laughs> that was a nightmare. Yeah, but they have deals. The Trader's Guide or Sportsman's Guide? Sportsman's Guide. Well, I can tell you you can't get more than uh, 1,000 rounds of AK-47 ammunition at a time. <laughs> well, that's bullshit. It's against federal law to mail any more than that to any private citizen. Mm. Can you pick it up at the store? I have no idea. All I know is I had to transfer a lot of angry rednecks to my manager. Ah, yeah, well, I don't think there'll be any rednecks with Trader's Guide. Maybe not, unless it's Benedict Arnold Trader. I feel like nowadays when you think about a magazine called Trader's Trader's Guide, it probably has, like, a guy with a coonskin hat on, like, Definitely. hunting in the forest. Like, yeah, a like, survivalist guy. Like guy. Duluth yeah. Trading Company. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's the guy on a buffalo. <laughs> buffalo. I need guy to watch. On a buffalo. I need to watch that movie. Now I found a baby floating in the river. <laughs> now, the ultimate goal was that people could use this magazine as sort of a reference book that would grow over time with said companies advertising in it. They would be able to more easily find each other. He also intended to print it in English, French, Italian, German, Spanish, and, of course, Portuguese. Portuguese. <laughs> well, listen, man, where's where's the Arabic? Where's, not where's the Chinese? Where's the Japanese? Uh, this is 1918. That's <laughs> yeah. right. I don't think they're too yeah, concerned about right. that. <laughs> now, to accomplish the goal of attracting companies, he was going to mail out 100,000 free copies to businesses he found in directories from the U.S. Bureau of Foreign and Domestic Commerce and the U.S. Consular Service. Mm. That's a lot of free fucking copies. See, that's what I mean. He couldn't send out the circulars, but he's going to do this, which is interesting. This is guaranteed hits, though. Like, if he sends it to 100,000 firms, he's guaranteed to get some Some? of them advertising. I mean, even 20%. If he gets 1%, that more than pays for itself. The funny thing is about mailing it out, hoping to get hits, is like, I feel like that's how some of the modern Ponzi schemes start. Sure. With like the mail me money and then mail this to other people or whatever, you know. Mail me $1 and keep this $1. Yeah, it's stupid. So the larger idea of doing this, it was hopefully it would start a snowball that would grow into an avalanche, obviously. Mm -hmm. Once a few companies got involved, surely they would all start flooding in. As for cost, each mailing was going to cost him 35 cents, which overall would cost $35,000. So that's a lot. Fucking Christ. That's a lot. I'm sure he's going to find some way to finagle a deal with the post office or something. (laughs) Now, to meet said costs of the 350-page book, 150 pages would be reserved for those interested in advertising. Mm -hmm. He would charge $500 per page with $5,000 for the premium cover. So, in his head, this would deliver a profit of $80,000 if it worked out perfectly. So, the thing I was confused about when I was reading this is... How was he going to let some companies be in there and then some not be in there who are advertising? Like, uh, do you know what I mean? Or was the advertising going to be for products that said companies would use? I didn't really understand what he was trying to accomplish there. Well, um, I'm sure it would be like, okay, so in the ice business, there's hmm. a, there's a, they have their own trade magazine, right? Okay. Yeah. So most of it is advertising from like ice companies like ice manufacturing companies and then the rest of it is like bullshit 
publication articles that are okay. written by ice managers and stuff. Okay. So it would be like fluff pieces and advertising. Is okay. What it would be. Yeah. So, okay, I see what you're saying. That's probably what he was uh, thinking would happen. I, exactly. I think it's just a trade book. Ponzi was so certain this was going to work, he rented out the entire second floor of the current building he was working on. Oh, yeah. He would then hire two stenographers and a messenger boy. We need a messenger boy in this here. office here. Yes. We need one. I yes. don't know what he's going to do, but we need a messenger boy. He can go get us coffee and <laughs> bacon gonna sandwiches. He's going to walk to every one of our listeners every week and be mm. like, the episode's out. No and then move to the he's, next he one. He just hands him a the episode's out. <laughs> every Sunday he hands out a flyer that says, new episode here. <laughs> How the fuck am I going to get to Europe? <laughs> I fucking walk across the ocean floor, bud, or swim. He's our messenger figure it boy. Out. <laughs> he then began mailing out letters to everybody he possibly could in an attempt to attract advertisers, but... He was getting nothing but crickets back. Damn. Oh. Out of desperation, he would try to offer an investor the ability to purchase half the investment in the book, which for an investor, if the book did take off, it would make you a shitload of money. But sadly, he couldn't find any takers. Shocking. <laughs> so you would invest, let's see, uh, $17,000 in a trade publication, no. Jordan? In a book no. that had generated zero interest no <laughs> by the summer of 1919 he was hemorrhaging funds so he tried for a hail mary and he decided to create a root beer <laughs> yes mm. uh, there probably would have been a safer bet here actually mm. make 1919 root beer man <laughs> and he decided hey maybe a bank will give me a two thousand dollar loan the bank president after the meeting would tell him i'm sorry but i cannot approve the loan well, it is our policy to accommodate our depositors whenever we can. Your account is more of a bother than a benefit to us. Good day, sir. These, bank, these bankers are spicy. The book's basically like he said that, and then he did that classic, like, 180 turn, yeah. click heels, and take Good off. day, sir. Like his butt. He turned around so fast his butt clapped. You know the bank president's got a fat ass, so he's turning oh, yeah. that bitch around. Oh, yeah, a big walrus ass. As you can imagine, desperation was really beginning to set in. Just to keep some money coming in, he had to sublet some of his office space. Oh, yes. All of that <laughs> valuable, valuable space he had hey, this for his three employees. This You got to remember, this building is in the heart of, like, Boston's uh, commerce area. So it has some value. Well, yes, that's what he's saying. It does have a lot of value. Yeah. But he did not need it for he his did. goddamn exactly. purposes. I, I couldn't even imagine literally being like, hmm, I'm going to start my own business. Let me go rent an office. Space, and then I'll think about what I'm going to do. Yep. Well, like, is get a different the space time. first, and then we'll figure it out. <laughs> By August 1919, Ponzi was facing the hard truth. His brilliant idea of creating Trader's Guide was a complete failure, and more than likely, he was going to have to return to a normal job. While sitting alone in his office, he soon realized that he had received a letter from a company in Spain inquiring about Trader's Guide. Ooh, Obviously, it's a start. <laughs> Obviously, they did not realize that Trader's Guide was already dead, but why this particular letter is important is because it contained a strange piece of paper roughly the size of a dollar bill with intricate watermarks and a fanciful drawing of a woman dressed in flowing robes delivering 
a piece of mail from one part of the globe to another. Whoa. So you got some dude who likes to sit on the beach and draws <laughs> mail. Yes. What exactly he was holding was an international reply coupon. Mm-hmm. Now, in April 1906, the United States and 62 other countries gathered in Rome to come up with a solution to make it easier to mail internationally. This was designed to reduce the amount of steps one would need to take to mail back and forth from countries. Wow. If you were to, say, mail a letter to Italy and you needed it returned back to you in the United States... They would have to pay a different amount to do so in Italian currency, which could cost more. Now, if you, say, wanted to send money for them to pay for the postage, they would have to take the U.S. currency and then exchange it to Italian currency just to purchase the postage. Just a complete waste of time and having to jump through all these loopholes one would need to just to mail a letter back and forth. So, obviously, you can see where this is going. Okay. So, the international reply coupon was designed to create a fixed value on all international postage. So, you could purchase one of these reply coupons and just put it in the mail you you were sending and the person who received it could just put it on whatever they're mailing and send it back. So it kind of keeps, um, I don't know. It, it makes things easy. Basically. That's really good. Yeah. This That's was, crazy. I never even <clears throat> thought that was a problem that would have needed figuring out, but of yeah. course it was. I, I Well, I'm a, obviously now, I don't know if they have these still. I, mean, I should have really looked need it up. A, no. Just but, uh, go to the post office and put a stamp on it, and somehow it ends up wherever the hell <laughs> <laughs> you wanted it. All I know is... Most when I send out letters, one letter is one stamp. International, it's three stamps. So okay, perfect. There we go. That's all I need to well, know. Next time you go in there, ask if you can get a reply coupon. <laughs> <laughs> I need a shitload of reply coupons, please. <laughs> like, sir, this isn't 1913 anymore. <laughs> now, this obviously was a great system to have, but. They did not foresee the Great War happening, which had a huge impact on several uh, countries' currency values. Bolstered some, destroyed others. Correct. And those said countries were far too busy with the war to adjust their postage rates. Mm -hmm. When Ponzi used his reply coupon to send mail to the company in Spain, he realized that it had costed the Spaniard 30 centavos, which was the equivalent to roughly six cents, which got Ponzi's mind running with another brilliant idea. He's just skimming oh, the Jesus. skimming the pennies. You know where this is going, Jordan. I can tell. Office space. <laughs> if he was to purchase a bunch of these international reply coupons in a country such as Spain and then exchange them in the United States, he could turn a profit by manipulating currency values. That's fucking genius. <clears throat> So Ponzi thought to himself, he had plenty of contacts in Italy, perhaps he could have someone there purchase him a bunch of these reply coupons and send them to him. See, at the time, the Italian lira had plummeted in value. He could purchase 20 reply coupons for one U.S. dollar. Nice. After doing the math, he found out, found out that for every dollar spent, he could make $2.30 in profit. He's getting money mailed to him. Basically. Obviously, at this rate, he would need to purchase a ton of these things at once. His plan 
was to buy them in a huge bulk from, say, Italy, then exchange them for regular U.S. stamps, and then sell the stamps to a com- U.S. company who used a lot of stamps at a discounted rate. Brilliant. Obviously, in theory, that it was a brilliant idea, but the other glaring problem was that he didn't have any funds to get started. Yeah, he's always running into that startup <laughs> problem. This is great, but I need cash. Yes, mm. always. <laughs> well, let's go try the bank again. Maybe he'll harumph and walk away. <laughs> problem was he wasn't going to try the banks because oh. they weren't going to give him a loan. Oh, yeah, he tried it already. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, in his mind, too, he thought if he tried to outla- outline his plan to them, they would just steal it. Yeah, it's too good. As uh, also private investors would need proof that the plan was actually going to work. So he would begin to ask anyone he knew for a little personal loan, but nobody was taking the bait. On top of that, he was already $3,000 in debt, and that wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. So he really needed to do something. Ponzi ended up somewhere he never wanted to be. A building displaying three clusters of gilded bells, which at the time was the international sign for a pawn shop. Oh, Jordan. No. <laughs> I am glad I haven't been to one of those for months. Next time you go there, can you ask where their gilded bells are? Yeah. Listen, man, I don't plan on going one unless I'm buying something. You Just, know what's funny? I uh, think there was a place in Woodbury that actually on their sign had three golden bells on there. So really? Maybe, yeah. Maybe that was a, a throwback. Well, I thought now it was just like the a huge sign that says pawn shop. <laughs> no, there's like some, there's like a symbol they use or something. Oh, really? but it's not three golden bells. Well, yeah. the, the thing I was remembering, I was like, what the hell? Where have I seen gilded bells before? And like a lot of really old businesses just use it when you open the door. Like ding, you open it, it's ding, like ding, 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 ding. Yeah. I remember they uh, see my mind went to Bell's Brewing. Do they have that? Their logo is three bells. Okay, all right. Well, you should accuse them of stealing it from a pawn shop. You definitely should. Probably. <laughs> so, at Uncle Ned's Loan Company, <laughs> I love that name, by the way. Trustworthy. <laughs> Ponzi reached into his pocket and pulled out three diamond rings that belonged to Rose and a gold open face watch. The dealer appraised the rings being worth about $500 and the watch at about $50. This money... Didn't last him more than a week, and when Mr. Daniels, the man who operated the used furniture business, came looking for his $5 a month payment, which, mind you, was several months behind, threatened Ponzi with repossession of his items. Regarding the money, Ponzi would say later, I did not have it, and that settled it. And he couldn't draw blood out of a turnip. <laughs> Are you sure? Can you not draw blood out of a turnip? I'm, no, I've never stabbed a turnip. I don't know if they bleed, but I will try and get back to you. I mean, I, they don't. I'll tell you that right shit. now. Shit. I feel like turnips are not nearly as popular as they were in probably 1919. Huh? Which is unfortunate. Turnips are good, man. Man, that sounds pretty hipster. They're, they're a starchy f- vegetable, right? Yeah. Are they? I yeah, they're a they, root vegetable. Oh, yeah. like radishes? But I don't, uh, I don't think they have that. They're like, kind of like halfway. They have like the texture of a radish, but more so the flavor of a carrot. Well, yeah, I could get down with that. I was going to say radishes uh, come from, or no, um, what do we say? Yeah, radishes. They come from the uh, the horseradish family, right? Yeah. Because they have that little burn with them, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, but turnips have, like, that kind of softer feeling like mm-hmm. a radish. Like, mm-hmm. 
Anyone who knows what I'm talking about knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of hipsters who've had plenty <clears throat> of Think of a radish but, but that tastes like a carrot. They're kind of bland, but they have a little bit of sweetness to mm. them. But Ponzi needed to find a way to convince this man to keep the furniture. So Ponzi quickly thought of a plan and said, Let me give you a $200 promissory note mm. that Daniels could cash on the store's good credit at his store's good credit at First State Bank. Wait, his own store? Yeah, he because he, Ponzi didn't have any credit, so right. he told Daniels, take this, you can cash it on your store's good credit. <laughs> okay. Okay, now, this is a little confusing, so I'm going to explain the best I can. Basically, Ponzi told him he could keep $100 of it, and he would give Ponzi the other $100, and Daniels would pay Ponzi back in $20 increments. <laughs> so, let me get this straight. <laughs> Ponzi owes this guy monthly payments. Correct. <laughs> and in order for Ponzi to pay these monthly payments, this guy has to pay Ponzi monthly payments. Correct. And take out a two hundred dollar. I'm load. sorry. All of this just seems completely ass backwards to me. But hey, if that's how things were run back in. The early 1900s, I'm fine with okay, it. Okay, my understanding, and you're going to see for the rest of this story, apparently promissory notes were like gold. I don't know. Apparently, they just take your word for it. That's I, insane. When he starts his company, he's like basically giving companies promissory notes. It's like and Dumb it's and just, Dumber. Yeah. It's an IOU. It's just as good as cash. <laughs> I think how it worked was because he took out the loan or whatever for this amount that... Uh, when he gave him a hundred dollars back and he let the, uh, the store owner keep a hundred, that guy thought he was making off good by keeping a hundred with the loan being in Ponzi's name or whatever against oh. his store. I don't know. It's so confusing. It's really, really crazy. <laughs> it's, I, I don't know. I was re I had to read it like four times. I'm like, why would anybody agree to this? <laughs> but anyway, after 60 days, Ponzi would pay Daniels back the $200 plus interest. Okay. So I'm, oh my God, I, hate <laughs> I think so you know much. what's coming. So it's very confusing. Obviously um, he figured if Ponzi messed up, the banks would have Daniels back in pursuing Ponzi for the owed money. So maybe that's why he agreed to it. He wouldn't have to deal with them. The banks would take him down. What? But Daniels... But I he, don't know. I, I don't. I don't. It's very confusing. But Daniels owes Ponzi money. <laughs> 20 but Ponzi $20 owes Daniels money. <laughs> I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know why you would But Ponzi agree. has to pay him back $200 <laughs> that he gave him a promissory note for. He's giving him like a temporary loan on top of whatever or what he already owes But he him. owes him money. Why would he give him a loan? <laughs> I, I don't know. I really don't know. This is insane. I fucking hate all of this. Hey, I promise you Daniels will be coming up several times in the story. Is he going to get killed because of this whole fiasco? No, no. He's, he'll be perfectly fine. I promise you. So, is he going to pay back Ponzi the money that I he think, owes Ponzi, I think we'll find but out. Ponzi owes him? <laughs> I think we'll hold find on, out about on. the promissory notes. Now, there's another reason why Daniels agreed to this. is because Ponzi explained to him his entire reply coupon empire plan. Oh, yeah. And because Ponzi told him with such passion, he like manipulated Daniel into agreeing to this whole thing. It's a good idea. I like I mean, the reply yeah. coupon idea. It is. It is. So he agreed to take Ponzi up on his offer, obviously. After this, it really got Ponzi's mind churning, 
He'd been asking people for large amounts of money to invest in his new business, but what if he was just to ask a bunch of people for small amounts of money with a promise of 50% return on interest? If he got enough people to do it, it would give him the necessary funds to get his reply coupon racket up and running, and in this quick series of events, Ponzi's get-rich-quick scheme was form so the furniture owner is literally the catalyst for his empire for starting this whole thing and now every uh trailer trash couple has an american website where you can buy some kind of shitty energy drink or (laughs) diet pills or sticker that'll make your phone last longer (laughs) yeah okay Uh, this and you know what else he's gonna learn what he doesn't need these reply coupons he's got the framework he can just slot and slide anything right in there we're gonna it's funny because later in the episode we're gonna be dealing with a lot of reply coupon business stuff perfect um Jordan, after the show, I want you to write me a $200 promissory note, and I'm going to go to the bank and try to cash it, okay? Okay. <laughs> we'll see if we can yeah. do it. Let's give give that a, a shot. <laughs> <laughs> now, most con men follow the three steps to being successful. Splash, cash, and dash. Yeah. Such Just like me, baby, <laughs> on a Friday night, baby. Such as in the 1890s, a Baptist minister named Prescott Ford Jernigan told people he had had a heavenly vision oh. where God told him how exactly he could extract gold from salt water. It's not possible. Yeah, this guy's a raving <laughs> lunatic. He's a raving lunatic. Hold on. So he would tell his congregation about his vision and ask for donations to get started with his idea. So... This reminds me of a South Park episode. <laughs> Jesus needs rocket boosters on his spaceship. <laughs> he might. How do you know? So... With the initial donations, he set up a cage that contained what he called an accumulator inside (laughs) that would attract the gold from the salt water, but it would take 24 hours for it to extract the gold. (laughs) What those interested didn't know was in the middle of the night, one of his confidence men would swim down and place nuggets of gold inside the cage. So the next day... Miraculously, (laughs) it had extracted gold from the salt water. Oh, my God. With the Alaskan gold rush sweeping the nation, people threw money at this. Jernigan would incorporate his company called Electrolic Marine Salt Company, selling stocks for as little as a dollar. By 1897, the company was worth an estimated $10 million. (laughs) Holy fuck. The Hartford Current wrote, The amount of gold in all the oceans is estimated (laughs) at 70 billion tons, $48 trillion. Ooh, doggy. If they had that much gold, gold wouldn't be worth shit, right? Well, yes. Well, here's the thing. It's kind of at... Uh, not to get too nerdy or whatever, but it's capped. It can only grow at 1% a year. They can only pull Ah. 1% of the total. They can only add 1% to the total every year. Okay, I got you. So it wouldn't matter how much they could extract from seawater. Exactly. (laughs) It just wouldn't wouldn't make sense at this time anyway. (laughs) No, obviously the next step for Jernigan 
was to flee, and he did so with $200,000 in cash, and his partner would make off with about another 100000 Two years after they finally finally tracked down Jernigan, Jernigan told them he fled because he was looking for his partner who had stole the secret formula. The Jesus one? Oh, yes. God. Jernigan's the pastor. When they caught him, yeah. he said his confidence man had stole his recipe, so he went after her. That's uh, what he was chasing him. I gotcha. He was on the hunt. <laughs> yeah. See, the crazy thing is that's an argument that works in those times. Oh, yes. So he faced zero jail time. Oh, God damn it. I know. Jernigan would live the rest of his life in the Philippines after making a shitload of cash. Now, while this is slightly different than what Ponzi will do, the premise of conning people out of money is the the same. (laughs) Ponzi scheme would be more of the robbing Peter to pay Paul scheme. Uh, Fun fact, this phrase is believed to have originated in the 1500s, when the lands of St. Peter's Church at Westminster was sold to fund repairs at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Yeah. That's kind of neat, huh? You're robbing Peter's Church to pay for Paul's Church. But it sounded like they wanted to sell it, right? That's what it sounds like, yeah, yes. Yeah, it's like it doesn't sound like a bad thing. They just wanted to repair St. Paul's I think Cathedral. It's a, I think it's a silly saying, yeah. and, it, and it rhymes or something, and people loved it. Poor Paul or poor Peter, he doesn't get no respect. No, hey man, Saint Sturgill kid. Simpson has it on his new album. Does he really? <laughs> yeah. Now the reigning champ in the robbing Peter to pay Paul scheme was a man named William Franklin Miller. Well, at least until Ponzi steals the crown, Miller would open up a business in 1899 called Franklin Syndicate in Brooklyn, New York. Ooh, must not have been uh, uh, must not have been a bad name at the time. Huh? <laughs> syndicate's syndicate. kind of associated <laughs> with crime. Yeah. Can you open up a business with syndicate in the name nowadays? You think, or you think you get a bad? <sighs> like, I, I feel like it could be a hipster yeah, business, like now. a hot topic store yeah. named like <laughs> Cool Syndicate or, or something. like a. One of the over-the-top, fancy, trying-to-be-a-speakeasy bars. Ah. Come to the syndicate and have an old-fashioned. Okay. It's a smoked ice cube. Like Barrio. Is it true, Jordan, that the only reason you can call it a speakeasy is because you, um, it's for, uh, what did they say? It's not open to the public. So if you set up a password or whatever, even though everybody knows that it's technically can be called a speakeasy. That's what I've heard. I don't. I know mean, if that's from what I know, everyone who has like every bar that has like dim lighting and red <laughs> vinyl fucking chairs and shit, <laughs> and hires some hipster who throws together weird ass ingredients for their drinks, calls it a fucking speakeasy. Mm. Like, yeah, this is the kind of place El Capone would hang out in. Yeah, I'm sure he would. Well. Where's all the uh, sex Wait, workers and drugs everywhere? Then? This it's ice cube has game. a, it has a hint of jasmine in it. Mm. <laughs> it really pairs well with the bourbon. Are you trying to say you've never hung out at a speakeasy? Fuck no. <laughs> I think he's lying. I, I like dive bars. Where am I gonna go? That's gonna give me a goddamn cold ass. PBR Pounder for the cheapest price. Um, that's what I want to fucking know. There is an Italian. No, sorry. I, I Irish bought our Irish restaurant in Woodbury, and they have like three dollar uh, hams. So you should go up there, Jordan. What's it called? Uh, 
O'Malley's, maybe? Mm. Listen, man, I can go to the Beer Stube in Oakdale, which is, like, on the border Mm. of Woodbury, and I can get myself a (laughs) $2.50 30-ounce tap hams. Wow, okay. So, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, Miller was promising a 10% return on any investment made over a year. Over time, he would earn the nickname... 520% 520% Miller. I don't even know why that why is this 520% after he was offering 10%. I really don't understand that. But. I don't know. <laughs> His <laughs> legitimate business turned out to uh, give people a much bigger investment than they thought. Basically, he was telling people that he had all sorts of insider tips yeah. involving mining companies, stocks, and many other businesses that were churning out large profits. Basically, he would take new investors' money to pay the interest owed from old investors. His business would take in more than $1 million before finally being exposed as a fraud by the New York Herald. Although he was imprisoned, Miller would earn a early pardon from prison, open up a grocery store in Long Island, and eventually earn the moniker of Honest Bill. Oh, 520% Miller became Honest Bill. Uh, That's a heartwarming we, story. I love ironic nicknames. Can't yeah. get enough of them. Yeah. <laughs> but what if he got Honest Bill because he, like, you know, a single mother or whatever, or a struggling family came in and was like, you know, we can only afford this after it's all rung up. Like, let's put this back. And he's like, you know what? Just take it. <laughs> I'm I mean, maybe. I'm, maybe. Help, I'm helping my community. He I'm changed. helping the people in it. He changed his ways, maybe. Uh, anyways, with that short sidetrack, let's head back to Ponzi and get the ball finally rolling on what this entire saga has been building up to. Woo. The idea that was going to make him a millionaire. Oh, so, fuck yeah. So after the weird deal he and Mr. Daniels had came to, Ponzi... Yeah believed he had finally figured it all out it's solved so he made his way down to the boston courthouse to declare his new business called international security company as we heard (laughs) in part one no hold on he was even more happy because this only costed him 50 cents which was just a little more than three boxes of his favorite cigarettes Murad Turkish. Listen, man, if I could get three packs of smokes <laughs> for 50 cents, I would be a goddamn happy camper. They had Murad to be un- Turkish. They had to be unfiltered, right? Well, definitely. yeah. Definitely. Hmm. They probably didn't have filter technology I, br- at the time. I bet Murad Turkish is the equivalent to Newport Reds now. You think so? I bet. Lucky Strikes are probably the hot shit mm. then, right? Oh, dude, definitely. You gotta love them. <laughs> but. After thinking for a little bit, Ponzi said something just didn't feel right about International Security Company. So three days later, he returned to the courthouse to change the name to Security Exchange Company. Um, Ponzi then printed certificates to give potential investors that read... The Securities Exchange Company, for and in consideration of the sum of amount invested dollars, receipt of which is hereby acknowledged, agrees to pay to the order of investor's name... Upon presentations of this voucher at 90 days from date, the sum of invested amount plus 50% at the presentation of this voucher at the company's offices, 27 School Street, room 227, or at any bank. So that's what you would receive if you give him money there. Now, with this until... Any bank. 
any I bank. I was going to say, that's the part where it's like, uh, <clears throat> dude, that's where it's going to come back and bite you in the ass. Maybe he can put any bank because if they give them a certificate for the cash, the bank just bills his company. Maybe that's what Ooh, it is. that could be. Yeah. Um, we'll get into it in a little bit, but he like kind of sticks his fingers in a whole shitload of banks. He's got his fingers in a lot of bank pies. Well, I'm saying, like, if he invests in a lot of banks, maybe they're like, you can go to this bank, this bank, this bank, or this bank, and they'll just pull it out of our account or whatever. Yeah, like a partnership. Yeah, basically. So, anyway, with this in tow, he headed out to start finding investors willing to give him at least $10. Ponzi later said, We are all gamblers. We all crave easy money and plenty of it. Even if we didn't, No get-the-rich-quick scheme could be successful. And after finally spreading the word about his newly found investment firm, the seeds were planted. All he had to do now was wait for them to sprout. The first person who would visit his office was a man named, I think it's a Tor. A Torre? Ettore Giberti. <laughs> that, Ettore. I kept thinking of Eeyore, I don't know why, but <laughs> anyway, Ettore was a grocer uh, in Boston. From the Boston area. Correct. Now, Ettore and his wife, Edith, would have a net worth of about $1,200, and hearing after hearing the rumors of this Ponzi fellow around town, thought, why not take a stroll down to a security exchange company and see what it was all about? So Ponzi laid on the sales pitch real thick, and for the most part, it seemed like Atori was considering it, doing some mental calculations in his head, but feeling like it was just too good to be true. Which it is. Atori said thank you and started to walk away. But Ponzi knew he needed this. He needed to get this guy to invest, not only for the company, but also for his confidence going forward. So he added another layer to his proposition. He told Atori, hey, why don't you invest and become the first ever security exchange company's sales agent? Oh, get in on the ground floor. For every person he brought in, he would get 10% of their investment. Yes. Oh. Multi-level marketing. (laughs) This is like a hybrid pyramid scheme, fucking Ponzi scheme here. It's beautiful. (laughs) So this was enough to entice Satori and would invest $10. Only so he could tell his potential clients he himself was an investor. Perfect. He wasn't giving him all of his money. And honestly, Ponzi got lucky with the Tory because uh, by January 1920, he had lured in 18 investors averaging around $100 a pop. Now, while He's I, a good little worker. He yep. is. Dude, I'm not going to talk about all of them. But he lures in a lot of salesmen, and they bring in a lot of fucking people, so... It's like goddamn uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, true, true. His little team of people. Now, while everything was working out as he had planned, Ponzi was dealing with a little bit of a tug-of-war internally. On one hand, he was getting these initial investments to get his reply coupon business up and running, assuming... That once it was up and running, it would easily pay off those investors while leaving plenty of money for himself, obviously. Sure. But on the other hand, he had quite a bit of money in his pocket right now. And when it came time to pay the investors their interest, he could just use the money from the new investors to pay the old investors, much like they did at Banco Zerosi. So, but it didn't take... You dumb fuck. (laughs) But it didn't take him too long to dive headfirst into option B. That's the path of least resistance. <laughs> Let's go. 
He took some of his initial $2,000 from investors to pay off the pawn shop broker and get his watch back. Not the rings no. yet. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Not the rings Fuck quite his yet. wife's rings. <laughs> but he also needed to pay back all of his own creditors and also needed to, to ensure that he had money to pay back the initial investors as well. Now, not too long into the launch of his company, a man named Frank Pope, who is the state supervisor of small loans, decided, hey, I'm going to pay you a visit. Now, Ponzi outlined that effectively he was taking loans from people at very high interest rates, which was not illegal. No. Frank Pope actually was more concerned about Mr. Ponzi protecting himself from those he was taking uh. loans against. But after chatting a bit, he was able to, to quell any concerns that Frank Pope had. But Pope would tell the local police, hey, let's keep an eye on him. Yeah, he might end oh, up fucking murdered. Boy. I'm assuming he's familiar with people taking out bad loans and then getting uh, murdered. Yeah, <laughs> and getting not, and people, the people that they ripped off are not happy. No. When the time came to pay out his first, first initial investors... Somehow Ponzi managed to pull it off and stay afloat. That's all he would. That's all he needed. He would tell everybody that he had a man named Lionello Sarti who was purchasing the reply coupons and he was exchanging them successfully this whole time. But what most people believe is a healthy amount of the first investors were just reinvesting their money with Ponzi, and on <clears> top of them. On top of that, most of them would just become sales agents for security exchange companies. So he's getting, he's getting really lucky That's here. really great. Ponzi said, Each satisfied customer became a self-appointed salesman. It was their combined salesmanship, and not my own, that put the thing over. I admit that I started a small snowball downhill, <laughs> but it developed into an avalanche by itself. Don't be so modest. <laughs> He's very humble. Yeah. He is. Humble brag. Humble brag. <laughs> In February of 1920, Security Exchange Company recorded $5,290 in new investments. Most of it coming from Rose's uncle, John S. Dondero, who gave $2,000, which was basically his entire life savings. Mm. That was all he had left from his liquor business after it had dried up from prohibition. I can imagine people who had any sort of liquor dealings or anything after prohibition hit, man, what would they do? Yeah, They're just you gotta, fucked, right? I know. You got to put that money in something, you know? Oof. Well, I think it was either the Hams or Schmidt Brewery here in St. Paul. They uh, actually did, like, turn into a soda company during prohibition. Oh, okay. Could you still sell, like, any? I don't know if they even had any beer. I don't know. Well, no, I mean, I mean... They made, like, root beer and cola and shit. Maybe they should dig up Because, I mean, you have the equipment to do it, so instead of just being like, oh, fuck it, this giant facility, close it down, like, oh, here's what we can do. They should still do that. A lot of them were shooting for government contracts. Ah. Medicinal booze. True, true. Good point. Now, the following month, the company was still growing at a healthy rate. Ponzi would return to the pawn shop and get all of Rose's rings back. Thank you. That a boy. Now... The pawn shop owner would later say that Ponzi entered the shop completely decked out in a brand new suit and pulled out a huge wad of cash. 
Apparently, he was doing quite well for himself. He just wanted to stun all over that pawn shop. Oh, man. Yeah. You know what's funny? Ponzi uh, actually asked the pawn shop owner if he wanted to invest with him now. Nice. And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah, he's like, I, didn't, I, I don't run a successful pawn shop because I make dumb investments. <laughs> now, Ponzi would also send about 10,000 lear to his mother, which was the equivalent to about $500 five days after that. He would send the same amount to a bank account he had opened in for himself in Italy. And from here on out, he would wire money to his mother and his own bank account in Italy regularly. Very smart. Oh, yeah. I'm assuming an escape plan. Have a bug out option. By the end of that March, the company had grown to 110 investors that estimated to be around $25,000. Business was so good that Ponzi would hire John S. Dondero to be a manager of the company, paying him $35 a week. But with all the success, Ponzi began to worry something was going to go wrong. He's faced a lot of failure in life. Why wouldn't you think that? So he started to pay off all of his debts, fearing that if they got a whiff of the success he was having, they might try to freeze all of his accounts. As for Mr. Daniels, he had paid him off and to keep him happy, purchased even more used furniture. Okay, good. <clears throat> now, a weird thing here is Ponzi was freaking out, right? So what he did was he returned to the courthouse. He demoted himself from uh, the owner. He put himself as a manager uh, along with Don uh, Dondero. So they were two managers of security exchange company. Because okay. he didn't want to be associated with the company, even though he was technically the president. So and when it fails, they can't fall back on him. True, so, right so there. Was, who did he have as the owner? Did it say? Uh, just nobody. It was just oh. like three managers. I didn't okay. list the other guy. The other two guys had no idea he did this. That's great. So he's just removing himself like from the problem, basically. He's a fucking genius. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't make Mr. Daniels the owner or something <laughs> somehow. Ponzi also decided to take another step to protect himself a little. He would head down to the Boston police station and spoke to Captain Thomas Ryan, the most Irish cop name ever. He asked... <laughs> Does anyone accept funds for the uh, relief of widows and orphans of the members of uh, the police force? <laughs> There's a Baston Police Force <laughs> Release Association, and that association has a fund and frequently accepts contributions for the benefit of the heirs of its members. Well, you have an excellent police force in Boston, and there are some fine men among them. I desire to make a small contribution to the fund for their relief. So Ponzi would donate $250. Might as well grease up the police a little bit while you're at it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> By April of 1920, roughly five months after opening his business, Ponzi had taken in $140,000 from 471 mm, customers and would have to begin hiring more people to help him out. I don't think Ponzi had expected this much growth so fast, yet he was still holding on to the belief that he could perhaps pull off the reply coupon gig. So he actually set up a meeting with a postmaster asking if he could just straight up trade in reply coupons for cash. Sure. Obviously, they were puzzled at first, yeah. so they would direct the message to the postmaster general. The Postmaster General sent him this response. You are advised that international <laughs> reply coupons are issued for use in prepaying international <laughs> reply postage. 
To effect that purpose, they must be exchanged for stamps of foreign countries, and I know of no necessity for redeeming American reply coupons in this country. Post office inspectors have reported their interview with you concerning a proposed <laughs> speculation in international reply coupons issued by foreign governments. They are not intended as a medium of speculation, and the department cannot sanction their use for that purpose. Ooh. Ooh. Not a smart idea. Sorry, bud. Yeah, so as you can probably tell from that, that plan wasn't going to work. Yeah, that dog won't hunt. <laughs> also, Ponzi's growing business drew the attention of his old cellmate from Montreal, Louise Casulo. Is it Louis or Louis? Louis. Basically, Louis threatened to make Ponzi's prison record public if he did not hire him. Ponzi said, I was in power, and he was my most dreaded <laughs> enemy. I was going straight. He was still going crooked. Under this circumstances, I had to capitulate. Ooh, I like how he claims he's going straight. Oh, yeah. I'm like, come yeah. on, buddy. You're yeah. not going straight, dude. <laughs> you ain't fooling nobody. <laughs> Basically, to handle the Lewis situation, he just kept sending him on pointless errands or wild goose chases, such as purchasing Ponzi's favorite after-dinner drink, Hennessy Three Stars <laughs> Cognac. Ooh. Ooh. Is yeah. That, is that... Have you guys had that? It sounds gross. Probably. Well, Hennessy's good. Ugh, I don't Hell, know. I mean, I wouldn't say good. Cody, you got fucking toe up off that bottle. Of I, oh, yeah, that's true. But that wasn't three stars, was it? Oh, I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. But I, do you know who the largest importer of Hennessy was in the world for a while? P. Diddy. Kim Jong-il. Really? Really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. And then they stopped because I think they thought, maybe this isn't a good look for our com country. <laughs> Or for our company to send in all this uh, all this Hennessy to a country where their people can't eat. I told uh, Phil, we were talking about in Subliminal Deception, um, on like the YouTube news feed, there was a video of him traveling to like this fucking mountain with like a lake in the middle of it. And you could tell he wasn't even riding the horse. It just pretended like he was going there and it was like a backdrop. It was oh. so fucking funny. I would recommend watching it. It's pretty Awful. fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ponzi thought there would be a chance that a prohibition agent would end up arresting Lewis. But either way, Lewis was handled. He just needed to make sure to keep him away from the firm itself. Mm. Not too long after this point, the growth was coming so fast, he would end up opening a second branch in Boston. A second in Boston. A second in Boston. Wow. Crap. Also opened up branches around Massachusetts, Maine, Vermont, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and New Jersey. Hell yeah. He is growing Jesus. fucking fast. I love the come up. I love the come up. Right now, Robert De Niro <laughs> just got control of the Tangiers, <laughs> and he's, uh, he's having a good old time. <laughs> By May of 1920, his profits had reached 440,000 from 1,525 investors. Mm. That is insane. Mm. But Ponzi still continued to face his inter internal struggles. He was start it was starting to reach a boiling point for Ponzi, and he said, Oh, what was I going to do? Proclaim my insolvency and face prosecution? Or keep up the bluff and trust my luck? <laughs> I kept up the bluff hoping that I might eventually hit upon some workable plan to pay off all of my creditors in full. 
Not only couldn't I pay the promised 50% return, but I couldn't even refund the principal at more than 75 cents on the dollar. Ooh, that's uh, not great, so sir. So you're losing motherfuckers' money. You're losing 75%? Well, as you can see, well, he's... losing 25%. No, you're not, Jordan, because you're supposed to pay them 150% of their mm-hmm. investment. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yep, yep. Now, keep in mind... The thought of taking some money and fleeing to Italy was not out of the realm of possibility. In fact, he had planned to take a trip to visit his mother in Italy on June 1st. Also, he had not seen his mother in 17 years. Listen, go see that old crotchety bag. He didn't want to... He didn't want to face her until he was rich, right? Basically, yeah. yeah. He wanted to prove to her that he had made it in America and yada, yada. But um, I'm going to let you guys know some foreshadowing here. He doesn't see his mother in Italy. Instead, she comes to America to visit him in July. So right when the... uh, He takes her for a ride in the uh, Rolodex Deluxe limo. (laughs) Guess what happens in July, fellas? The heat gets turned way up oh, on him, so oh, mommy's coming in shit. right at the perfect time. Now, while the postmasters had Ponzi on their radars, there was one source that he hadn't drawn the attention to yet. The newspapers. Mm. Now, obviously, the newspapers could and later will destroy his business so fast it isn't even funny once they find out the truth. <laughs> and the reason they weren't paying attention to him yet was because there was so much other news going on. He was fairly irrelevant at this point. Prohibition had just passed and was taking up most of the headlines. Boston also, as we learned in the Great Molasses Flood episodes, Uh, had quite a wave of anarchists wreaking havoc. What were they called again? The uh, Fuck, I can't even remember. I think they're just the anarchists, right? Yeah, no, I... Yeah, I think that's just oh, what they American were American anarchists, anarchists. Something, I, think, yeah. I don't yeah. know. They're just bombing the shit out of stuff. Ah, it was awesome. An ultra-corrupt man was running for mayor named James Michael Curley. I wanted to include his little story in this because Ponzi kind of likes him yeah. for his corruption. <laughs> yeah. But it's just it's too much to get into. You can look him up. He's not a good fella. <laughs> Which Mr. Curley, who you can imagine the newspaper were having a fucking field day with. Mm. And finally, Boston was just experiencing a higher than normal amount of murders and other crimes for some reason during this time. They weren't too focused on a man running a get-rich-quick scheme quite yet. Now, obviously, with Ponzi starting to really rake in the cash, he decided, why not upgrade his living situation? So... He would purchase a beautiful home in Lexington, which, as you can probably guess, was an extremely nice neighborhood. He would pay $9,000 in cash and an orange-colored security exchange company certificate worth (laughs) $20,000 that would turn into $30,000 in 90 days. They they just took a piece of paper and was like, yeah, this is how much it's worth. Uh You'll get this in this many days. I I can't even imagine buying a house with a piece of paper that says, hey, this is worth that. Oh, my God. Now, that pain in the ass, Lewis, caught wind that Ponzi had purchased the home and proceeded to do a little blackmailing. You little killjoy. <laughs> Lewis, I hate you. Demanding that Ponzi purchase Lewis and his wife a nice home as well. Having Ponzi buy the short and curlies, Ponzi would spend $14,000 on purchasing this asshole a home. <clears throat> wow. 
So he's probably got the money in the bank to just outright buy the house, but he just doesn't want to give it up. Why would you? And you can, they'll accept a piece of paper. I mean, that's they'll accept your orange money. Point. <laughs> it's like the color of Monopoly money, isn't it? Basically, <laughs> yeah. here, take this hunting license. <laughs> yeah. Unbeknownst to Ponzi, Lewis had been pocketing cash right out of the drawers at a security <laughs> exchange company this entire time. Weird. A blackmailing thief yeah. also steals from his company. Literally, people said he would go in there. Take the cash out of the drawers, and then he say, "Tell or make Ponzi pay for this, or something Jesus. like that." Yeah, he's uh, he's a jackal. He's ballsy. He is. Now, along with the new home and the excess cash he had, Ponzi decided he might as well start investing some of it. He would spend sixty-one thousand dollars to buy one thousand shares from Napoli Macaroni Manufacturing Company. <laughs> Ponzi said. Wouldn't want to run out the spaghetti at home. (laughs) (laughs) That is great. He also wrote a check for $30,000 to buy 300 shares and gain and gain controlling interest with CNR Construction Company. Wow. Why are stocks so expensive back I don't then? know. I, I, it, it probably depends on the value of the company, right? I mean, blue si- chip. Yeah. Well, I, I still, don't know. 61 bucks a share for a fucking pasta company? In, like, 1920? Did you forget how many Italians are in the United States right mm-hmm. now, George? I mean, yeah, but $61 <laughs> is, like, half a year's income around that time. <laughs> All right. Then he returned to the offices of J.R. Poole Company, wanting to per- basically purchase the company. So he would pay Poole $240,000 to gain control of the company. He also gave Poole five loans totaling $150,000 to launch a major expansion that included opening branches in several foreign countries. Smart uh, move. Can you, Smart. I see where that's going, opening in foreign countries. Can you imagine the amount of the – the biggest boner this guy had buying the old company that he was working for? Oh. My god. And putting it to work and basically just using their Rolodex. <laughs> Ponzi also purchased holdings with a sardine factory in Maine and a meatpacking plant in Kansas City. Diversify. He thought it would go nicely with his macaroni factory. (laughs) 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 He then started investing in banks. He would purchase for, for... he would purchase <laughs> 50 shares with Fidelity Trust for $6,000, five shares with Tremont Bank for $500. They're not worth much, I guess. No. And 100 shares with Old South Trust for $12,500. But the real prize for Ponzi was to purchase majority control in Hanover Trust, a bank that had about $5 million in assets. So at, so at first, he purchased 600 of the 2,000 shares with Hanover Trust, but when he found out they were about to release 2,000 in brand new shares, he figured this was the perfect opportunity to gain control. Hell yeah. He could have 2,600 if he oh. plays this right. When the day came, he went in the bank asking to purchase every single one of the new stocks. Uh-huh. They came back to him with the response that they wouldn't do that because it would give him majority control of the bank, which is exactly what he wanted. (laughs) I know. (laughs) At first, the bank wasn't budging. 
but Ponzi knew how to scare them when he started to remove all of his money that he had deposited <laughs> with them. That's because that's his worst nightmare. Basically. If all of his investors come and ask to take their money out. <laughs> so as you can imagine, the bank did not want to lose such a big client. So they said they would sell him 500 of the shares. He told them, no, not enough. So in desperation, they offered him 1,500 shares and would make him the director of the bank. He would end up paying $187,500 for 1,500 shares. God, Which gave him uh, 40% in, uh, controlling interest uh -huh. of the bank. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Hell yeah. As a single person holding 40% of the company? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, with all this spending, Ponzi developed a new catchphrase for himself. Wrap it up, please. I'll take it. I love it. <laughs> Apparently, after living the prior 17 years in squalor and hardship, he wasn't going to deny himself anything. Now, first episode, Locomobile's uh, uh, car that he drove. Right. Let me tell you this story. Our giant, uh, uh, weird $400,000 cab, right? Correct. So apparently the story goes, he went into the company. He said, I'll take that one. The guy said, no, it's already sold. And he said, have it ready for me by 1 o'clock tomorrow, and I'll bring you the cost of the vehicle plus $1,000. And, of course, the salesman was like, all right. Yep, you got it. Sure, why not? Now, in, so he, that's what it happened? He that's wrapped, what happened. He said, wrap it up, I'll take it at the 1 p.m. He wasn't going to be denied Hell his no. locomobile. Hell no. That was his goddamn car. 1000 bucks Extra. Why not? Now, now, in June of 1920, his company had taken in $2.5 million from 7,800 customers. Oof. His company's only been uh, in business for about six, seven months at this point. Oof. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, so he's doing very good. <clears throat> you might be wondering how he hasn't folded under people wanting their interest. Well, honestly... That was because most of them just continued to fold their money back into Security Exchange Company. Believe it or not, Ponzi was still trying to hold on to the reply coupon idea to fix the mess he had buried himself in. God damn it. Oof. Security Exchange Company had been running for about six or seven months at this point, making a ton of money, and it was pretty clear the reply coupons was not feasible no. at all. We're going to get deeper into that uh, in part four. In fact, presumably unbeknownst to Ponzi at the time, the postal system had actually passed a rule that no one could redeem more than 50 cents worth of reply coupons per person per day. Of course, they didn't mention that the change was because of Ponzi's inquiry. Yeah. Oh. yeah. It's his, if he, he wouldn't have asked. himself. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. He All could. he had to do was not ask and just start doing it. <laughs> I'm certain everyone is wondering what exactly is going to be the linchpin that is going to cause this entire scheme to come crumbling down. Well... It will all start from probably the most unlikely store source, Ponzi's very first customer that started the oh. company, the used furniture store oh, owner, Joseph shit. Daniels. The true hero of time. Yes, and we're going to get into he that. He has to in live the up to the part. legacy of his Uncle Jack. Ugh. So I told you, Joseph Daniels, while kind of stupid taking the loan, he's getting revenge. Yes, in he part oh, four. Oh, yeah. He's, right. he's going to be starting the downfall of Ponzi. Security and, Exchange uh, Company, you better get ready to <laughs> fucking hit the bricks. You should have never. Bumble 
Football listeners, it. the confusion about their loan situation continues. <laughs> yeah, that's never going to end. Uh, yeah, can you imagine being taken? Well, first off, don't fuck with furniture store owners. They'll it's take true. you down. It's true. Don't They'll always take you down. <laughs> so, yeah, um, uh, part four is going to be basically just falling down apart. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's a lot of, uh, he dies a very slow death, though. Oh. Very slow oh, death. Brutal. Well, part three was fantastic, yep. Cody. Thank you oh, for yes. walking us down that it's, path. It's, uh, do you guys think it's weird that just a weird string of coincidences got him to be a multi-fucking millionaire? Like, that's the weirdest part no. for me, I think. No, it's just dumb luck. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, it's it's really strange how that happens to shitheads. How yeah. they, I think it's because they don't take no for an answer. <laughs> and they're never put off when they're told they're a piece of shit. So you're saying if I took no for an answer, I could be rich right now? You could. Because I'm a bit of a shithead. <laughs> no, I'm saying if you ne- continue to never take no for an answer, you can be rich. I think oh. you should go to another country, buy as many stamps as you can, and then try to sell them in the United yeah. States. Listen, what from what I've heard, that's probably a terrible idea. <laughs> I Look think f- it is. Look how fucked up Ponzi was before he started making it big. Mm. You know what I mean? But do you guys also see how kind of in my head, yes, he's greedy, obviously, but he kind of was in desperation and he got way in over his fucking head. Now oh, he doesn't oh God, now he yeah. doesn't know what to do. He's got all this money <laughs> and he just doesn't know what the fuck to do. So I mean there's a part of me that almost feels bad for the guy. Yeah. He had a long, hard life. Like he I mean he had a lot of hardship up to this point, so... Well, he also destroyed several thousands of people's lives yeah. financially. Yeah. So let's not feel too bad for the son of Correct. a bitch. Correct. Yeah. But if you want to feel bad for us, you can do so by emailing us at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. As always, follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod and on Facebook and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. Now it's time for the most important part of the show. At least if you ask Cody. The iTunes reviews. Hell yeah. We got one more five-star written. Let's hear it. Amazing. Oh, shit. Um, this is A Taste of Mini Sconson by Haley oh. Bean. Oof. I don't know if I want to be compared to a mini Sconson. I'll take it. Oh, it's five stars, right? True. All we'll, right, we'll I'll accept take the it. title on that point. I spent a lot of time in Milwaukee and parts of Minnesota early in my career and loved it. I don't get back there anymore, but these guys make it easy to feel like I'm there. I love the comfortable, casual vibe. Keep it up, guys. Oh, so thank you very much. Fuck, I guess. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Who is that from? Haley Bean. Haley Bean. Thank you yeah. very much. Thank you very yes. much. Listen up. You are That's safe not... from the threat. Everyone <laughs> yeah. else who hasn't given us a five-star review, just I you. will find you. Just mm. you are safe from the threat, We, we know you guys are out there. Well, and everyone who has previously written one or... Even not written one and given us five stars. Yeah, you're safe. <laughs> and, hey, you know what else you could do besides the most important thing, which is leaving a review? Is donate to our Patreon. Hell yeah. At patreon.com slash podcast. Hell yeah. And there you can sign up. Uh, the deadline's passed. The next sticker should be, or the next print, I should say, should be in uh, production as we speak. Eh? It is. It is. Ooh. I'm, uh... Yeah, I'm just wrapping up. My plans is to wrap up uh, the Ponzi thing and then start working on that when I have a little Excellent. more free time. Oh, my God. So. I can't wait to see that one. So start getting in on the Bowling for Satan tier yeah. if you want to. Uh, if you want to. Because guess what? There are a lot of people that have the two prints plus the sticker, and they are having a great time. Hell, yeah. And you know what? If you donate to the Patreon, 
you know, eventually it's going to help me buy diapers for my child. <laughs> Boo. Hey, hey, we can tell them um, the plan's already in motion the first few months of Patreon. Adam and Jordan are going to be finally sitting comfortably after. Chair, 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 <laughs> chair, 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 yes. chair, chair, chair. Finally chair. sitting. Listen, I've grown an attachment to this chair. I promise you, once you sit in a comfy chair, your spirit's going to be lifted up. The podcast is going to be lifted up. It's going to be fantastic. Adam's been sitting on a fucking stool, basically. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I, re- I remember the first time that thing just crumbled. <laughs> yeah, I'm and trying. He's like. Creep it real was here. (laughs) Creep it real was here. That was pretty embarrassing. I'm trying to make sure um, that I find a a sturdy chair this time. That's my ultimate goal. So that's why I've been looking through a lot. I need. I want to make sure we have a very sturdy chair for Adam over there. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for donating. Thank you all that shit. Uh, You're all beasts. Every single one of you. That's going to do it for us this week here at Bubble Popeye Podcast. Over there has been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. Over there has been Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Adam. As always, everyone, have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. I am completely unprepared for this outro statement. (laughs)